0: Um, Our last speaker is Rowan Long. Rowan Long is um, a zoology teaching guy and collection manager of the Teague's... Is it Teague's? Teague's. Teague's Zoology Museum at the University of Melbourne. He is a writer and obsessive bird watcher. I saw a lyrebird the other day. A composer of esoteric music and a paleontologist with many field seasons experience on the early Cretaceous rocks of the yes, the Victorian coast. You can find him on Twitter at Zoology um, Rowan. And you can also find him here tonight in real life on the stage. Please make Rowan feel very welcome. Hello. Uh, I'm very excited to be here in this very, very pretty room. Um, I'd like to talk to you tonight about paleontology. Um, Yeah, all right. Um, So paleontology is a study of extinct life, uh, and the most famous slash favourite group of extinct life that we can think of is... My partner said you would not participate if I threw it out there, and I'm very excited to see that you're on board. Yes, dinosaurs. So I want to talk about dinosaurs, about dinosaur research, and about um, one man who was studying dinosaurs in the early 20th century. Now, in the early 20th century, dinosaur research was kind of crappy. Um, dinosaurs had been sort of defined as dinosaurs in the 1850s. A lot of cool stuff was done on them in the, uh, in the subsequent decades. But by early 20th century, sort of pre-World War I, I don't, things just got kind of boring. People were sort of rehashing old ideas. They were reinforcing, you know, ideas that weren't really that exciting. Um, To give you some idea about this, in in the United States, paleontology was dominated by a guy called Henry Fairfield Osborne, who was a huge fan of eugenics um, and enjoyed misinterpreting fossils to reinforce a narrative of white superiority. So not like a really inspiring research environment. Um, Into this scene strides a man from the wilds of Transylvania, I shit you not, uh, with a fine mustache, a black velvet coat, the bearing of an aristocrat. His name is Franz Baron Knopscher. Uh, I'm not a Transylvanian. I'm probably butchering my pronunciation as well, but he is Knopscher to me. Um, he is, but Baron Nopscher is not just a cool name. He's an actual Baron. He's from an Austro-Hungarian uh, aristocratic family. Um, Nopsha was, uh, introduced to dinosaurs at quite a young age. His, uh, his sister, when they were teenagers, found dinosaur fossils on one of their many estates. He, he got his hands on the fossils, he got very excited about it, and he obsessively studied dinosaurs for the rest of his life. Um, so what is it about Nopsha that it brings me here today to talk to you, uh, you about him? Um, Nopsha, at a time when things were quite boring, um, started to think about fossils in a way that people had not before him. He looked at fossils as if they were the remains of living, breathing animals. Now, that might sound like an obvious thing, they're the remains of animals, but at the time, people weren't really doing that. They were you know, maybe picking them off a shelf in their museum and, and looking at them out of context like they're just dusty old bones. Knopsha wanted to look at these animals as if they were real animals, as if they were animals that interacted with other members of their species, if they interacted with other completely different animals, the way they interacted with their environment. It's an approach that we now call uh, paleobiology. Um, So while his contemporaries were busy designing racist museum dioramas and getting sucked in by the Piltdown Man hoax, (laughs) Knopsha was coming up with ideas that were so far ahead of their time uh, people didn 't really know what to do with them, um, and i 'd like to show you, uh, talk to you about a, a case study which I think sums up how insightful this, this man was and how sort of brilliant he was. and it all stems around the discovery of some dinosaur fossils in his native Transylvania. So Knopcha found these fossils uh, of dinosaurs, and they were small dinosaurs. Um, so for example, uh, everyone i 'm sure is familiar, even if you don 't know them by name, uh, he found a sauropod fossil. Now sauropods are those big, long neck, large plant-eating dinosaurs like Brachiosaurus or Brontosaurus or Apatosaurus, he found one of them, and and we think of them as being giant animals. Uh, Knopsha's Transylvanian sauropod was about the size of a large horse, so very small as far as sauropods go. So that's one fact that is thinking about. I have small dinosaurs on this site. Second fact is the environment. So paleobiologists always want to look at environment. And the geology of a lot of Europe in that area uh, was made up of rocks which were created from sediments from deep ocean. Um, so that, that whole area um, during this, this period of the, of the dinosaur era, covered in a big sea. Um, and and Nopcha was a very good geologist. Uh, he knew this. He, he knew the area very well, and he knew it detailed um, geological maps of the area. So, these are the facts he's got to work with. He had a few other facts as well, but these are the facts I want to focus on. Small dinosaurs, big ocean. What does that mean, if it means anything at all? Um, Nobsha put forward a a hypothesis, a completely unique hypothesis, and he said, okay, what we're seeing here is uh, a big island. So we've got this big island in the middle of a big ocean, and on the big island in the middle of the big ocean, there is small dinosaurs. Um, Yeah, uh, not that exciting, but he 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 said why they're small is because... Uh, on, an, on an island, you have limited resources. On the mainland, you want more food, you want more space, you go and get it. It's continuous. On an island, uh, your resources are very clearly limited, and it's resulting in animals that have become dwarfs. He, he proposed dwarf island dinosaurs. Um, now, that might sound a bit weird to you. It sounded very weird to his contemporaries as well. Um, And I mean, even as I'm talking, I can tell what you're thinking. You're thinking, Rowan, uh, small dinosaurs? Yeah, I'm pretty sure I've seen small dinosaurs. I think they're called baby dinosaurs. Um, Now, firstly, I don't like your tone. And secondly, uh, Nopsha did think of that. And so he thought, how can I prove that these are fully grown dinosaurs? Because otherwise the theory doesn't really kind of work. Um, And he invented an entirely new technique uh, where he took some bones of his dinosaurs. Now, he didn't have... You know, like on TV, when you know what paleontologists do where they walk up to a fully articulated skeleton and they dust it off with, like, a, a brush? Fiction. This never, ever happens. You find, like, one bone if you're lucky. Um, so he had, a, he, didn't have, he had a good collection of bones, but not, not everything he wanted. So he had, to, he had to wring as much information out of the, the material he had. Um, so he took these bones, he chopped them up, and, and took tiny thin slices of those bones and looked at them under a microscope. And it's not, it's not a perfect analogy, but it's quite similar to counting tree rings. So he was looking at the internal microscopic structure of these bones, looking at those patterns, um, and he was trying to work out if he could see if these were adult animals or, or baby animals. Now, unfortunately, he was not able to, uh, although he, he sort of refined this technique, he wasn't able to apply it to his dwarf island dinosaurs. But other people uh, subsequently did, and they found out that he was absolutely correct. Um, they were adult dinosaurs, they were dwarves, and they were living on an island. Um, so just incredible insight that this man had. Not only that, uh, but this doesn't just apply to obscure Transylvanian fossil dinosaurs. This is a rule that applies to all life on islands. This is a fundamental truth of the way life behaves Uh, evolution behaves on islands. Um, So, for example, you may not know this, but I'm utterly thrilled to bring this to your attention. There used to be uh, dwarf elephants on the islands in the Mediterranean, so places like Crete, Sicily, Malta. There used to be tiny little elephants uh, hanging around there a few million years ago. They had evolved from, uh, you know, like large elephants from the mainland, uh, found themselves isolated on islands, and evolved towards small size. There were dwarf emus uh, on King Island, between here and Tasmania, on Kangaroo Island. Exactly the same principle, exactly the same principle as the elephants and exactly the same principle as Knopsha's dwarf dinosaurs. So this guy was able to deduce this, this uh, incredible um, sort of rule, the island rule it's called these days, um, by looking at a few Transylvanian dinosaurs. So just amazing insight, amazing genius. So why haven't we heard of Baron uh, Franz Baron Knopsha today? Why, aren't, why isn't there a big budget movie of this guy's life? Um, I'm not really sure. Uh, I think, to some extent, it was he was extremely unconventional. I think everyone who's here tonight has talked about people who are really unconventional, um, and, and Nopche was the same. He, I could do an entire, I could do a series of talks of how insane this guy's life was. Um, he was a spy during World War One. He was obsessed with Albania. Um, he probably knew more about Albania than any person in history. Um, And although he was a a foppish aristocrat, he would go off to the the mountains of Albania and hang with the mountain tribes until he looked like an Albanian peasant, and then would just come back months later and saunter into the the salons he would hang out with his aristocrat friends, uh, and just as if nothing had happened. Um, He was an an out homosexual in the early 20th century. Uh, He had a long-term partner um, who was a much younger Muslim man from Albania. He was really into Albania. Um, And uh, made no attempt to hide it, which was extremely unusual in early 20th century anywhere. Um, so th- that was certainly one reason. Oh, that was... He was also... Uh, there was a point in World War I where the, uh, the king of Albania, that role was uh, needing filling. It was available. There was no king of Albania, and they needed a new one. Franz Baron was he seriously put himself forward as the king of Albania. Um, and he was seriously considered. Um, but you know how job interviews are, and he didn't quite squeak through. Um, he had. So I'm, I'm going to go over time here, but I just. He. he I just want to tell you this. He was thinking. Uh, he was thinking of marrying a rich American. That was his idea. He's like Albania doesn't have much money. I'm completely gay, but if I marry an, a, an American woman with lots of money, you know that'll bankroll the whole operation. Um, didn't get to, he didn't get to do that, unfortunately, and then he was like, I don't care about Albania anymore. If I can't be king, I don't care. Um, and walked off and, and did more paleontology. So very, very unconventional, very eccentric, and I think it would have been very easy for some of his, his attractors, which he had, um, to dismiss his work. Uh, I mean, another reason that he is not remembered is probably because he didn't have the long career that he should have. Um, he, he was very prolific while he was alive. He, he published hundreds of papers, um, but that was all cut short. Um, he became uh, very, very depressed and very destitute after World War I. So um, after the events of World War I, his home country of Transylvania ceased to exist anymore. It was ceded to Romania. Uh, all of his family's titles and and money and and status uh, was dissolved and he, he, he was just sort of set adrift. He didn't have any income, really. He, he was offered jobs at museums. He had a lot of friends who were happy to give him jobs at museums, but his sort of free-willing lifestyle didn't gel very well with the nine-to-five things. So... He, uh, he fell into a deep depression, probably a clinical depression, based on, on analysis of his correspondence. Um, and on, on an April morning in, in 1933, uh, he gave his, his long-term partner a, a cup of, of drugged tea uh, and then shot him fatally and then turned the gun on himself uh, at only 56. So he, d- he never had the long career that he could have had, where he could have continued with that incredible insight and that genius. Um, so it's a very, very sad story. Of, of Franz Baron nopsha and I hope that I can. All I can do tonight, that the small little thing I can do is to just tell a room full of interested people about the insanely insightful, possibly just insane, um, brilliant uh, founder of paleobiology. Can we all raise a glass to Franz Baron nopsha Thank you very much.